We're going to have a look uh, this morning just briefly at a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Uh, just need to give you a little bit of background here. So Paul writes two letters in the Bible to the church at Corinth. And let's just say it's not in a great place, this church. They're really in a pretty much in a mess. Uh, morally, they're struggling with all sorts of things. They've even got to the point where church members are falling out with each other. And rather than resolve those things within the church, they're actually taking each other to court as in the secular court outside of the church. It's not good news. And they also find that they're starting to slip back into their own ways. So Paul writes this passage particularly to remind these folks, as we've heard this morning, of what they once were and what they've now become, and how they should continue in that. Should we have a look at it? Yes. Good, that's three of us. Let's have a look at it. Here we go. All right. Uh, So, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 11. Hopefully this will click forward. Okay, if we can click it forward then, please, that'd be great. So if any of you has a dispute with one another, says Paul, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one believer takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers? The very fact that you have lawsuits amongst you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? They're not in a good place. Do not be deceived, he says. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul had a way with long sentences, if you've not gathered that by now. And this is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. For Paul, change comes. That's what he says. And actually, as he talks about their situation, he's heartbroken. He's heartbroken because this church that he founded and saw such transformation in fell back into these ways where they end up squabbling with one another. They end up forgetting that they should be set apart, that they're forgetting who they are in Christ. And Paul says this. He says, I say this to shame you. Think of the impact, he says, of what's happening. The fact that those outside the church are talking about the state of the church is obviously such a turn-off to those beyond church. Who would want to join an organisation that is imploding on itself and is falling apart? Says Paul, the problem is that you pretty much look exactly the same as the people in the wider society you're part of. Just think about that for a minute. This church finds itself in this place where it looks like the society it's part of. There's nothing distinct, there's nothing different about this. And Paul says... Think about it. Think about the way that your life simply looks the same. And I guess that's the challenge to all of us this morning. We've heard an amazing testimony this morning of what God is doing, of those pledges that people are going to make today as they're baptised, that they will live for Jesus. But actually, if we've made that decision already ourselves over the years, then that reminder is we need to make it daily. We need to continue in that. We need to be aware that actually the challenge we face, each one of us, is how do we stand out from the crowd? I was going to dress up, but I didn't think it would help. How do we stand out from the crowd? 
In what way do we operate? Which way do our relationships look different? We've heard so much this morning of the influence of people, haven't we? Everybody coming to be baptized is going, and then so-and-so brought me, or so-and-so's life was changed. So-and-so looked different, and I wanted something of that. Folks, the question this morning is, how different do we look to those around us? How different do we look to those who live next door to us? How different do we look in the workplace to those that we work with? How different do we look when we hang out with our friends? How different do we look in our family groups? Do we look different? You know, I think we face a huge problem as church, as Christians today, and that is that we're actually surrounded by nice people. I don't know what St. Austin's like, but Bobman, we're full of nice people. Sometimes. Ish. (laughs) All right? There's nice people everywhere, and we can look just like nice people. We can blend into those nice people. And even we can say, well, I knew so-and-so, and then they became a Christian, and they went from being a nice person to, well, a slightly nicer person. You know, the challenge is, how do we really stand out? How do we stand apart? Let me just give you one silly little illustration. Um, My first job was as a youth worker in the New Forest. I worked for two churches, and I also worked alongside the local authority doing many of their youth work jobs as well. And one of those was running a youth club on a Friday night in the village in which I lived. And as part of my first night, the sort of induction from this rather rough group of young people, they were asking me all these sort of questions, and I was telling them I was a Christian. And one of them just went, well, do you swear then? So I went, no. No. Thought nothing more of it. I worked with this group of young people for four years. At the end of the four years, at my leaving do, I'm there in the middle of this piece of chocolate cake, and this kid comes up to me, the same lad, and he basically says, you know, we didn't get you, did we? And I'm like, what? And he goes, we didn't get you to swear, did we? Now, if he knew how close he got me to swearing over those four years, (laughs) you wouldn't believe it. But by God's grace, no, I didn't swear. Maybe a silly little illustration, but if I told you I've prayed with other young people on occasion sobbing because they know that they look, they just blend in with others because they swear as much as everybody else. It may be a simple illustration, but does our language look different? Do we stand apart? Are we blending in? Are we just becoming those nice people or actually is our language different? It's simple, but it's effective. You see, we should be different on the outside so people want to know what's going on in the inside. But also we should be different on the inside so that it comes to the outside. Did you follow that? That's good. It sounds better coming out of my mouth than it looks on paper. That's good. You got it. We should be looking different because the more we know the Lord, then the greater difference it should make. We've heard it this morning. Be encouraged by it, but be challenged by it too. Paul reminds the church in Corinth of their new position in Christ. Not only does he say, look, you are different. He says, this is what you can look forward to. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Have you ever thought about that? That the saints, that's those of us who knew Jesus, will get to judge the world. They didn't mention that on Alpha, did they? We're going to get to that place where actually Jesus says, you're going to reign with me. We're going to reign in that eternal kingdom. We're going to be part of his crew. We're going to be there with him. Some people express great joy at that this morning. What have we got to look forward to? What an amazing hope we have. It's the level we will rise, we will rise to. So for goodness sake, says Paul, if one day you're going to judge the world, surely you can judge issues within the church itself. You see, for Paul, as he looks at this church in Corinth, he sees such a spiritual failure. People are no longer regarding themselves as different. People are no longer standing out from the crowd. They've fallen back into what they once were. And ultimately... They've allowed the waves of the world just to persuade them and to lead them away from God. This passage, I think, folks, gives us that timely, re- timely reminder just to be alert, doesn't it? 
You know, in what ways do we just fall back into the ways of thinking of those around us as well? The baptisms today, as we've heard, are all about people making decision. It's that public confession of their decision to follow Jesus. And we celebrate that with them today. What a gift. What a privilege. But folks, it's not something you will do this afternoon. Then on Porth and Beach. And that'll be it done. You know that person who got married and they said, well, I never bothered to tell my wife that I love her because I told her that on our wedding day and I thought that would do. How pathetic. By the way, guys, that's pathetic, all right? <laughs> if you're doing that, work on it. But if you think about it, today, for those who are baptized, we don't just say, Jesus, I want to follow you, and we leave it there. We daily make that decision on and on and on. Folks, whenever you made that decision, if you made that decision, Remember, it's a daily decision, on and on and on. We don't say it once, we say it daily. We commit to follow him. Paul says to the church here, sort yourselves out. Get back to that place, really, of that centrality of what it's about. As we've heard beautifully expressed today, it's all about our identity. It's about the fact that we have moved. So it's like, as we've heard in our talks this morning, what we've been is we've been here. We've been in that place of sin. We've been in that place of separation from God. But as we come to know Jesus, as Jesus reaches out to us on the cross, so we come to that place of life, and life in all its fullness. And we've seen that expressed this morning. I love that. Yes, at the end, that was fantastic. We've got that life. But we need to be people who understand that we've moved. We're no longer there. We've broken out from that. We're new creation, as Paul puts it elsewhere. We've come to know Jesus, and we are set free, and we are living free, and we're seeking to bring that freedom to others. We're in a different starting point altogether. And so the way that we view the world has to look different too. Because from that decision, from that transformation, so our behaviour should follow. Our ethics should look different. Our relationships should look different. The way we do business should look different. The way we look after our relationships with one another, particularly those closest relationships. Our honesty, our finances, all of it, the whole thing should look different. Because Jesus is Lord And Jesus is key to all of those decisions. I don't know about you, but I feel so often, I almost need reminder of that every day, just to make that decision daily, to grasp hold of that again. I don't want to be a nice person. I want to be a person who stands out for Jesus and looks different, that people will be drawn to him when they see me in that way. Paul would say, look at the calling upon you. Look at where you're heading. Down here is just a rehearsal. It's all to come. What is ahead of us? Rejoice in us. You know, folks, if you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus and you've heard about these stories and you, I hope you've picked up that it's about knowing Jesus. It's not just about hearing about him. It's not just about taking on some sort of education package and saying, yes, that's what I want to do. It's about physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally knowing Jesus and knowing him as Lord of our lives. How amazing is that? John puts it like this in the Bible. He says simply this. He says, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, it's not a right that we assert, but it's a right that's actually given to us. God gives us that right, as we've heard this morning, to become children of God. And if we're going to be children of God, then we need to live to the standards of the Heavenly Father. Paul says, remember what you were called to. Otherwise, he says, you know, you're defeated already. You just want to lie down and give up because actually if you can't even get this right within the church, you're not going to get it right outside. 
If you're here this morning, you know relationships are not right within the church, whether it's this one or, or another church elsewhere. Can I encourage you to really think what God is calling you to, to actually make those things right? Because Paul says, let's model it within our churches. There's great credit this morning to the church here as a place where people felt welcome, they felt that fellowship. It's so key that as church we're in the right place, that others might come to know Jesus as they encounter church and they see what difference Jesus makes. Let's not be defeated already. Let's be equipped and resourced to go out. Because you see, churches can so easily percent off track. The church at Corinth becomes absorbed in its lawsuits and so it loses any focus of reaching out to other people because it's all dealing with what's inside. got a vicar friend of mine who's recently had to deal with some massive issues in his congregation. I spoke to him a few weeks ago and he's exhausted. It takes all his time. He said, I haven't put together a decent sermon for weeks because I haven't had time to focus on it. My pastoral care is gone. My vision setting has suffered. If there's issues within the church, it has implications. It prevents the church from growing and going where it needs to go. And Paul picks this up again in verse 9 to 11 as he warns that the lifestyle of the wicked means that people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he's pretty blunt. Paul lists these folks, sexual immoral. The idolaters, the adulterers, the male prostitutes, the homosexual offenders, the thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the slanders, the swindlers. And he says, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But look what comes next. Probably the eight most significant words in 1 Corinthians. And he says this, he says, and that is what some of you were. You know, this morning's been an incredible testimony to that, that Jesus takes us from here from that sin that we're in, he takes us and he moves us to that place of freedom. He sets us free. It's what we once were, we are no longer. We're now in that new place. We've been transformed. We're a new creation. But isn't there a little danger that while somebody's looking over there, we just do a little bit of this, maybe a little bit more of this. And before we know it, maybe we're quite back where we once were. It's a daily decision. It's a daily decision to say, actually, that's what I once was. I'll get me grammar right. It's what we once were. But now we're set free. We're in that new place. And folks, that's what church is as well. That's why we need to encourage one another. Those being baptized today, commit to be part of your church. Commit to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to support one another, to grow together, to go on together. That's what church is for. We're a new creation. In Proverbs, we're told to guard our hearts, to protect ourselves. The promises that we make today are promises that we need to continue to live in as we go on. Paul says this is what you once were. Can I encourage you though, folks, as well in this, that if you knew that you were once there, and now maybe you've just snuck back a little bit to where you were, you know, God's redemptive work goes on working. So if this morning you find yourself and you've fallen back into any of those old ways, then actually God wants to draw you out from that. He wants to bring you from that back to what you could be, back to what you were. But it's your decision. It's my decision. We need to open our hearts to what the Holy Spirit is saying. We need to listen to his prompting. We need to say, Lord, if that's what you want for me, and I know that's what you want for me, then I want to respond to that. I want to be back where you want me to be. Because while we have the right to be called children of God, we also have the responsibility to act like one. 
Paul says, rejoice in what you are. Rejoice in what you are to become. Rejoice in the fact that God has invested in you. Think about that. What a privilege. Those of you making that decision today, what a privilege that God was on your case. That God was passionately interested in you. Because if you're here this morning you don't yet know Jesus, let me assure you, God is passionately interested in you. And you've heard today those stories of what God can do that takes where we are and takes us to where we need to be. Why don't you let him do that today? Let him shape your identity. Let him take you from where you were to where you know deep in your heart you want to be, to be set free, to be living free, and to be bringing that freedom. Paul sums it up, and I end with this, in a fantastic verse at the end of this. Verse 11. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And in many ways, that's what baptism expresses today. You know, we're washed, we're washed free of those sins. Little confession here. Bath time in our house, I've got two daughters, was never good when they were little. Particularly the youngest one, I won't name her, Amy. Uh, she, uh, she detested baths. I remember she was about two years old and she literally, in the summer months, I literally remember Wendy trying to get her in the bath and she goes, but I had a bath at Christmas, mummy. Literally, all right, it was in the summer. So we can never get this child in the bath. I can remember manhandling her in, sticking her in the bath. But I also remember the challenge of getting her out again. Because once we got the little blighter in there, she would lay in there like it was summertime forever. And the water would be freezing, she'd be shaking, and she'd still be in there. But isn't that a great, great illustration of what it is to be washed? You know, we might be reluctant, we might be, I don't know if I want to explore this Christian thing. I don't know, it's an effort to commit to God. It's an effort to go and do Alpha. It's an effort to do all that. But believe me, once you get in the bath, once you're washed, once you know that cleansing, you don't want to get out again. Don't sit here this morning going, but I had a bath at Christmas. Sit there going, I'd love that again. I'd love that freedom. I'd love that release. We know what it is to be clean, and once we know that, we want to stand in that cleanliness. We want to be cleansed again and set free by what Jesus does for us. And secondly, then, he says that also we're going to be sanctified. It's a great Christian word. What it means is simply this, that God is working on us, that God is changing us. Paul puts it elsewhere and says we're being changed from glory to glory. Ever thought about that? We're being changed from glory to glory. God is at work changing our lives. And I said it earlier, but God invests in us. If you take nothing else home today, remember that God invests in us. Wow. The God who created the universe invests in you and invests in me. He passionately loves us, passionately wants to see us transformed. And his work is to sanctify us. That is to cleanse us up, if you like. It's like taking us with all our mess and just going, I can do that. Nothing is too daunting. I can do that. And he'll transform us and change us and shape us to be like him. It's an ongoing work of God. And it is ongoing. It is ongoing. And finally, he says that also we're justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified. We're made white in Christ. We're made right in Christ. So once we were here, once we were far from God, the Bible says, But through Jesus and his love, as he reached out, as he died in our place, so we find ourselves in that place of fellowship with the Father, a relationship with God, of an eternity secure in what he promised us in heaven with him. But you know, it's not of our own doing. 
As we've heard such credit to you this morning, it's because of Jesus. It's what Jesus does in our lives. It's because Jesus stands here this morning as he stands every day and reaches out to us and says, come on, I've done it. I've done all that needs to be done. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be set free. He's done all of that. But you and I have to do one little thing, and that is to accept it and to ask him to come and be saviour and be Lord in our lives. Paul says, look at what you have. Look at that place that you have with Jesus where one day you'll reign with him forever. Get yourselves right within the church. Don't let disputes take you off course of what God has called you to. Remember that it's a daily decision that you're in that right place with him, but you need to put yourself in that right place with him as he enables you to by his Holy Spirit. And ultimately, says Paul, the challenge is this. Don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. Live in this incredible freedom that Jesus has brought for us. Root your identity into him. Keep perspective. Be church both in here, but even more importantly, be church out there as we reach out to the society around us. Isn't our prayer that many, many more people over this next 12 months, 24 months, would stand at the front of this church and Bodmin and say, you know, I met one person from Light and Life. I saw what Jesus did. I saw that it was real. And I wanted some of that for myself. Let's pray together. As we pray, I'm just going to ask that the Holy Spirit would prompt us. As to any areas of our lives where actually we've fallen back into those old ways. You know, the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit is he convicts us. That is, he sort of prompts these things in our minds, not to condemn us, but to change us. That sanctifying work that Paul wrote about. It's our own individual choices. So as we pray this morning, ask the Lord to wash you again of anything that has got in the way of what you want to be. Lord God, would you cleanse us, we pray. Would you wash us whiter than white? And Lord, instead, would you set in our hearts such a desire to live for you, to live in your freedom, to love you with everything, with every aspect of our lives, to commit wholeheartedly to go wherever you would call us to go. I was 13 years old when someone said to me, do you know Jesus personally for yourself? I fluffed my answer because I didn't know what they were on about. 
But within six months, I'd made that decision for myself. This morning, you've heard so much about how you can know Jesus for yourself. I want to give you a challenge today. If this is true, it's true beyond anything you could possibly imagine. And it's the best message you could possibly hear and respond to.